Hi, everyone. This is Ali Hassan. I wanted to let you know that for the next few weeks, we are going to be re-airing some of our favorite episodes from our Doctor vs. Comedian library. I hope you enjoy them. Today in a special episode, we will be previewing Ali's new book, Is There Bacon in Heaven? This is Doctor vs. Comedian. And this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, what we usually do is I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic from medicine and health and grills me on that topic. But today is a very, very special episode. Today we'll be hearing a preview of Ali's new book, Is There Bacon in Heaven? Published by Simon & Schuster, coming out September 27th, 2022. We'll also include a brief medical digression about pulmonary fibrosis, which factors into one of Ali's stories. But first, Ali, you're a busy, busy, busy man. Tell us what's been going on in your life. It's a bit crazy trying to organize stuff to record this podcast. It is a bit crazy. There was this pandemic, right? You heard about that? Mm -hmm. And then um, basically there was a lot of things canceled in 2020 and 2021, and they're all happening right now, including this book that we'll talk about and including a tour. There's a company, I guess, uh, yeah, a wealth management company called IG. Yeah, I think we talked about it before, IG Wealth. We talked wealth. about this. I'm yeah. on that tour yeah, yeah. for IG Wealth. I'm doing Just for Laughs Toronto, a number of dates. I've got the book has associated, you know, writer's fests that I'm attending. Oh, wow. And then I'm teaching at Queen's. And those students right, are getting neglected right now. So that all... Oh, and and of course, <laughs> run the burbs. On, don't tell them that. They'll feel it. They'll pick up on that. I just mean I, they're getting neglected because I'm not going to be at Queen's University as much as I would like to be. Yeah. So you're doing hybrid, sometimes in person, sometimes... Uh, sometimes in person, sometimes Zoom. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You like your first class to be in person, ideally. Yeah. But... I'm going to be on set for Run the Birds. Oh my gosh. That's you should like you should like take your computer laptop on a tour and, and walk around and yeah, it's Andrew Fung. He's like busy trying to like show run the show and you're like <laughs> harassing him while he's trying to. That'd be good. That'd be good. He's, he's like, get away from me! I'm like, uh, Andrew, there's 28 students watching you right now. Get away from me! <laughs> he still doesn't care. That would be very funny. That's a sketch right there. There you go. So but uh, yeah, it's yeah. a bit insane. And it's so insane that I've stopped drinking altogether for like two, three months. I'm like, I need energy. I can't even have one margarita. It's all pushed to the fringe. And he's so moved on to amphetamine. So it's really just to give him that energy. That's a joke. Boost. We don't. <laughs> That's a, you are not my doctor. No. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm not your doctor or anyone's doctor, exactly. No, I am lots of people's doctors. Sorry. I, yeah. Just not the listener's doctors, unless you're a patient of mine who happens to listen to the show, but. This is going off the rails quick. Now, Asif, let me ask you about, you've been uh, consuming a lot of stuff that I have not been consuming. Basically, I just want to share with the listeners. He means entertainment, by the way, guys. Like, Asif, what did I say? No, you say consuming a lot of stuff. And we just talked about amphetamines and alcohol. I'm like, oh, oh hilarious. Let's all relax here. <laughs> let's all relax. This is that guy, yeah, entertainment. It's, it's like, is that liable or is it, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, oh boy. He's been consuming entertainment. And unfortunately, anytime Asif asks me, did you watch this? 
90% chance I'm going to say no. And that continues to be the case. You're watching a lot of stuff. Again, always a mystery how you have a family and a career. But can you talk about some of the stuff that you're watching and that would be worth it for me or other people to watch? And maybe we even have a discussion about it on this show. Yeah, we'll see if you happen to have heard. I mean, some of these you've heard of. So I like the kind of escapist stuff. So uh, I watched Prey. That's the new Predator movie, which takes place like hundreds of years ago. It's a Comanche tribe, and then one of the Predators ends up there. Origin story of Predator? No. It kind of the origin story of them, I think the first time they landed on Earth, I think. Okay. Who's playing Predator? Who's playing the Comanche? I don't know. I I don't know. These are uh, all, they're all new actors I've ever heard of before. Okay. I just remembered that the guy who plays Predator is very tall. He's like seven feet or something like that. I read an interview with him. Can't remember his name. And the person, okay, I should probably look this up. The person who plays the uh, Comanche female lead is great. She's totally awesome. And and they used obviously real First Nations people from the States. Well, Um, don't say obviously. That's not obvious at all. That's 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 true. I think uh, appropriately they did that. There's two things to criticize in this movie. One, those of you who've seen it, it won't be a spoiler. They speak a little bit in Comanche and then they just speak in English, which is fine, except they speak like it's modern day. They're like, they're almost saying like bummer and this sucks and stuff like that. Like, they don't say it's, bummer, it's, it, no, but it's, it's almost like that. And then there's also a bunch of French trappers that they run into. Okay. So they're supposed to be like Quebecois kind of French doing some trapping and, and they get involved with the predator as well. And mm-hmm. they have the, it's the worst French I have ever seen in a movie in my life. Clearly okay, so everyone on. is speaking yeah. phonetically. Nobody yeah. knows French because the way they're pronouncing the words, like this is crazy. They're just trying to speak with a French accent and pronouncing things phonetically. Like you just got to go, I, even if you don't watch the movie, just find it. It's on. Well, it's, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. I'm going to tell you why I'm going to watch it. Shout out to my friend, Mike Patterson from Montreal, fantastic comedian, one of my uh, heroes when I was getting into comedy in Montreal. He is in this movie. He plays the role of Big Beard. And he shifted from English comedy to French comedy. And his whole shtick is doing French comedy with a terrible English accent and limited knowledge. So I'm excited to see how much oh of that gosh. bad French is he, Mike Patterson. He is one of those people. It has to be because there's only Big beard. like five white people in it and they're all the trappers. So, okay. oh boy. Well, anyway, <laughs> let's uh, move on from that. But anyway, the movie is great. It's the second best Predator movie after the first one. Really oh. a lot of fun. It's great. It's great. It's on Disney Plus in Canada. I think it's on Hulu in the States. So, yeah, definitely. If you think you'd like Predator movies, this is this is for you. It's great. Okay. What else? I've been watching a couple of shows as well. A lot of them are like comic book shows. So there's She-Hulk. I don't know if you... She-Hulk is on uh, Disney+. Plus. It's the new Marvel She-Hulk, one. She-Hulk, Tatiana Maslany is just so fantastic. Sure. And just, I can't... Yeah, I'll definitely watch yeah. that. There's just no question. It's very funny. People are like, it's basically Marvel meets Ali McBeal because she plays a lawyer and She-Hulk is a lawyer in the comics and kind of breaks the fourth wall and talks to the screen. Like, very like Ali McBeal, but it's great. And Tatiana is a great actress. Hilarious. Funny, what a dated reference, Ali McBeal. What about saying Fleabag or something like that? Yeah, I bet because of the lawyer. Ali McBeal took place in a law firm. A law That's firm. Listen, man, I watch every episode of Ali McBeal. I love that show. So I, know, I bet you do. So She-Hulk is, is fun. It's a lot of fun. People criticize the special effects. Sometimes it looks like female Shrek. 
which would be, I guess, Fiona, Princess Fiona. But it's good, though. It, it, if you think you'd like it, it's a lot of fun. So uh, there's that. And then a couple of, like, cartoons I watch. I watch Archer, which is in its 13th season. Again. Oh, my God. Arch- I thought it was in you know, its fourth. Yeah. <laughs> That one I just still watch because it's still on. It's it's kind of lost a bit of its luster. And Jessica Walters played Archer's mother on the show. And then, of course, she passed away last year. So missing a big part of that show. Uh, She was great. Basically playing a very similar character as uh, as from Arrested Development on that show. No way! But yeah, like just, just, anyway, just a hilarious mother, drinks a lot, you know, criticizes everyone. It was was great. And, you know, as Jessica Walters, with Arrested Development and Archer, she had this career resurgence in the last couple of decades of her life. Sure. So she was, you know, a, a classic. Anyway, but Archer, I mean, again, I wouldn't recommend as much as this other animated one I'm watching, which is Harley Quinn. So Harley Quinn came out a couple of years ago. It's the third season of it. it. It has, I always get her name wrong, Haley Cuoco, Cuoco from, yeah. from uh, Big Let's Bang say. Theory. Is that how sure. you say her name? And yeah. Lake Bell. There, There's so many people in it. Tony Hale's in it. Ron Funches. It's crazy. Chris Maloney plays Commissioner Gordon in it. I mean, you just look at the cast list. It's amazing. It's hilarious. It is nonstop jokes. Very inappropriate for kids, so I don't suggest that. And again, like, it's one of those shows that has representation without representation. Like, as the show has gone on, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, who are the two main villain characters in it, have a relationship, and they're dating in this one. And it's just a love story with these two and the crazy hijinks that ensue. And Batman is like, obsessed with Catwoman and she totally runs the relationship. It's just hilarious. I can't even describe it, how outrageous the show is. I get the idea just from seeing some of the episode names, you know, Batman Begins Forever is one of the funny <laughs> Yeah. Climax at Jazza Pajiza. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, anyway, uh, I yeah, see how it's... I did mention it's inappropriate yes, for children, yes. I believe. And then, I don't know, Ali, have you checked out these, there's two big, huge fantasy shows that have come out in the past two months. Are there? Well, I know that ring, <laughs> Rings of Power you're obviously talking about, which I could not care less about. Well, okay, so I was going to ask you. So you have no interest in Lord Zero. of the Rings, Rings of 100%. Power. 100%. Did you? And I, I own, I own oh. Lord of the Rings. It's still wrapped in its DVD package. I never even took it out. I was like, why did I buy this? I'm an idiot. But you've watched all those movies. I've watched them all, but, yeah. But, but you I you know, steadily lost interest throughout. I thought the first one was quite phenomenal and i was like this this idea it's so funny i I took my dad to see the first one and we we were watching it and it ends he's like well that was really good but i thought they were going to take this ring and throw it in this volcano to like destroy it what happened i'm like well no no dad this is the first of three movies he's like anyway you can just tell from his look on his face he was like super unimpressed by that so I'm like, yeah, I should, probably should have told you that. You mean before. they could have just thrown it in there and ended it now? But I got to see two <laughs> more movies. See two more I'm movies. with your dad. I'm with your dad. And sure enough, think it would have been better if they just threw that <laughs> ring in early on. Yeah, all the nerds online are like, they did have these flying eagles, so couldn't they just flown to Mordor and the eagles dropped them off the volcano? I'm, I'm with like, the nerds. Yeah, I'm well, anyway. Nerds. So Rings of Power is out now. This is Jeff Bezos. I don't know if this is true or or apocryphal, but he basically said to the TV group at Prime Video, I want my own Game of Thrones. So here's a billion dollars. Do it. Right. And so they hired a bunch of people. So they spent it's the most expensive TV show ever made. And it looks like I mean, you can see the cost on the screen other than maybe some green screen every once in a while. Like all that money is there on the screen. I watch it on the big screen in my basement. Looks amazing. Looks like a movie. 
some of the action scenes are really, really good. The first episode is a bit boring, I thought, other than one action scene at the beginning. But then I thought the second episode picks up. It's good. It's And some people are criticizing it. Well, you have all the trolls criticizing it because, oh my gosh, there's a, I believe there's a black elf in it, if you can believe it. Yeah. Oh boy. And then there's a, women as the lead. Like, majority of the leads are female. Uh-oh. Why don't you guys the go? Horror. Yeah, shut up. Anyway, those guys are like, anyway, that's lame criticism. Some people just say it's a bit too, again, you have a hobbit, you have an elf, you have a mysterious uh, human. And so people are saying that's a bit reductionistic and and also that it's, the prequels, like basically a mysterious person shows up, Ali with a, who's very tall with a long beard and seems to have magical powers. And they don't say who it is now. But if you've seen The Lord of the Rings or read the books, I you have. probably have a good guess of who this person is going to be. He what, shall not pass. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I think they may be doing a, a, a bit of prequel-itis where they're like, oh, look at this, look at this. And clearly they're going to create the rings of power and the one true ring that's going to happen in this show. So, I don't know, we'll oh, see. God. But so far, I like I care it. even less. Oh. I care even less after your beautiful description. So, so movie. far, I like it. But, you know, if you're reading some of the stuff online, apparently there's been a lot of downloads on streams of rings of power. But the bigger show is House of the Dragon, which is also a prequel to Game of Thrones. And that's on HBO. And, and HBO released that a couple of weeks before mm. Rings of Power because they knew they didn't want to be upstaged by that. So uh, are you a Game of Thrones guy, Ali? No. I've watched two episodes and that only so that I could interview one of the directors, a Canadian guy. Yeah, sorry, man. I just, dragons don't do it for me. That's all I can tell you. I think I would like it if not for the flying dragons. It's so funny because when I first started watching Game of Thrones years ago, when it when it first came out, I was like, "There's not enough dragons. There's not enough monsters and dragons. It's, it's all too much palace intrigue." And it's funny because this new series, which does have dragons in it, it is like almost ninety percent palace intrigue. You have to wait to the third episode to get any real kind of action. Mm. But I like that, surprisingly. So some people, again, criticize the show because they say it's it's all palace intrigue. What about the mystical parts of it? What about the action? But I, I don't know. I, I'm liking House of Dragon. Out of the two, I've seen two episodes of Rings of Power and, and all the episodes uh, to date of House of Dragon. So far, I like House of Dragon better because I, I agree with you. I like the Game of Thrones. I, I don't I don't like Lord of the Rings as much as, as kind of Game of Thrones, but... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think they're both good. If you think you like them, you should check them out. You seem like you wouldn't like either of them, so then don't. Yeah, I don't know what that I agree with you part was. That you oh, I agree with you with that anything. I don't like Lord of the Rings as much. Yeah, that's, yeah, I don't know. I'm not even sure if I said that. Okay. I dislike them both. Okay. <laughs> anyway, those are good recommendations for people who will like it. I'm not the guy. You know, for, so for Ali, I would say She-Hulk, she and Harley Quinn, I suggest you just check out three episodes. Just okay. watch three of them in the first season and see if you find it funny or not. And like, it's not for everybody, but I don't know, check it out, man. If you had said, check out Archer, I would have been like, I'm leaving this podcast right now. I mean, Archer's I, hilarious, but do you have, do you have time to 14 watch 13? <laughs> 14 seasons worth of catch up? Come on. What are we talking about here? <laughs> Okay, Ali, let's do a proper transition. We've been promising this for a couple months now. We said we were going to do a preview before the book comes out, and we're going to hear a bit of an excerpt from the book. Uh, like I said in the intro, we'll take a bit of a, a sidebar to talk about one of the medical conditions that come up in the book. It has to do with your father. 
So, yeah, why don't we go ahead? You want to set the stage here? Set the stage. So this book, we have been talking about this. Unless you're a brand new listener, you might be like, what book? But we have been. Asif's been encouraging me to promote it because that is my greatest weakness. But it is a book called Is There Bacon in Heaven? As Asif mentioned off the top of the show, comes out with Simon & Schuster in just a not long, few days, September 27th, available in the U.S. online. I think you just mentioned Jeff Bezos, so I'll... I'll mention Amazon. You've already broken the seal, but you should be able to get it in a number of places in uh, online in the U.S. and then Canada in store online anywhere you get books. And your independent bookstores too. Not yeah. just the big chains. Yeah, and that's what I was um, semi suggesting right there. Okay, so this yeah. book again, this was something that was supposed to come out in 2021, and. It's interesting. I would have been less of a broken person <laughs> if it had come out in 2021. We'd had the pandemic, but we hadn't had some of the more horrific elements of that period happen just yet. But I think it made for a better book by extending it. It was my editor who said, listen, you just started talking about your father. Before that, it was a love letter to my children more than anything. And then he said, you just started talking about your father and involving him in these stories. I can't help but think there's more to discover. And the deadline for the book was a couple of months away. And he's like, why don't we just take our time? And the other thing was that I am that guy who's, you know, shake hands and kiss babies. I'm I'm that guy. Many writers like to not leave their basement, like just write. And oh, right. the personal element of the promotion is the worst part for them. Whereas I, I like that. I like talking to people. I like being around people. And so in 2021, that wasn't going to be an option. And so he was like, why don't we push till 2022, the fall? And I was like, why the fall? That's so far. But I'm, I'm very, very happy we did. And so this chapter, it's one of the later chapters in the book, one of the last ones. And it is talking about my father and a couple of things, his demise as well. But we thought we'd bring that up and, and connect it to uh, this medical issue of pulmonary fibrosis as well. So I'm going to read this. I was at his funeral Muslim funerals don't, you know, you don't have that opportunity to say anything at the mic, which was a little bit difficult for me, but I got an opportunity to do that for some of the colleagues of my father's at Dawson College where he taught. So this chapter has that speech in it and a a little preamble before that. So this chapter is called The OG Cultural Muslim. My dad wasn't typical of his generation of Pakistani Canadians. Many of the members of that first wave of immigration in the late 60s and 70s had backgrounds in the sciences and pursued jobs as engineers and doctors. My dad made a career out of his devotion to English and Urdu literature, and he encouraged generations of young people in Montreal to appreciate the best work in both languages. And while many of those same early wave immigrants turned to a dogmatic form of Islam as they aged, my father never deviated from a more humanistic Sufi style of Islam, one that focused more on an intensely personal form of spirituality. Throughout his life, my dad eschewed Islamic piety and fanaticism. Despite or maybe because of his time in Saudi Arabia, he remained devoted to the liberalism and free thought necessary for literature to thrive. And despite the drinking, he always said he was a Muslim. He might have held many negative views on various Muslim leaders and politicians, but he never badmouthed God or people who practiced their religion. He simply avoided them. And then I found out that he was sending some money every year to a peer, a revered spiritual guide who would essentially listen to people's problems and say prayers for them in his hometown in Pakistan. 
So if you can believe it, it occurred to me only as I was writing this book that my dad was the quintessential cultural Muslim. And I mentioned earlier that to pressure me into finding someone, anyone to marry, my family was guilting me by saying that my father wouldn't be around forever. And there was actually more to that. He had been diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis years earlier. It's a chronic lung condition, and he'd only been given a few years to live. Asif, I know I'm interrupting myself here, but I think this is a good time to talk a little bit about what pulmonary fibrosis is, and then I'll get back to reading the remainder of this chapter. Okay, sounds good. I don't imagine, you know, you're going to talk about it with some degree of knowledge, obviously, but I, I imagine you don't see it in your patients, young no, children. No, yeah. It's, it's an adult disease, really managed by internal medicine specialists, family doctors, and of course, respirologists in the adult world. So I haven't seen a patient, obviously, with this since I was in medical school. I knew your dad had it. We had talked about it. I think I even visited your dad in the hospital when he was mm -hmm. in there with an exacerbation at some point brought him some books and things like that. So yeah, I mean, basically, another name for it is idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, because we don't actually know, again, what causes it, like many of the things we talk about. But basically, it's essentially this lung disease where the lungs become damaged and scars. Again, we don't know what causes it, but that's what happens. And then you get this thickened, stiff lung tissue that basically makes it difficult for your lungs to work properly. And as you kind of saw, you get what's called exertional dyspnea, basically being short of breath when you're walking mm. and, and doing activities. And then you have a cough that's not a productive cough. We say, I mean, it's kind of a weird thing to say productive and non-productive. Yeah. But what we mean is like you're not producing phlegm or sputum or something like that. So, but it's non-productive. And, and then you think, well, there's a lot of things that could be. Maybe you have lung cancer. Maybe you have this. And it has a lot of non-specific symptoms as well. So you can have weight loss, fevers, fatigue, sore muscles, sore joints, and things like that. So it, it's very non-specific. And some people can just be diagnosed incidentally. Like they go in for like a routine chest x-ray or just, you know, the doctor's listening to their lungs. They're like, oh my God, like this is suspicious that you that you may have. So this is interesting because that's not what I knew about it in terms of we don't know what causes it. I assume that my father's heavy smoking for 30 plus years was definitely the culprit. Right, exactly. So it's one of those things where these are risk factors, but we can't say, you know, we know smoking directly causes lung cancer. Cigarette smoke is a carcinogen, right? It's not quite the same with this. So we think there may be genetic factors, and then you have inciting factors. So some possible inciting factors, smoking is one, but then occupational dust or fume exposure. Mm. So there's an increased incidence in hairdressers, farmers, stonecutters, metal workers. Of course, older age, majority of patients are over 60 at the time of diagnosis. Male sex, like your, your dad, and then this idea of genetic. So... There's been lots of research that's been done, but basically I think you may have a genetic predisposition to this scarring and you have some inciting event. So it could be a chronic history of smoking or maybe an inhalational issue if that's your job. And basically when you have an injury to your lungs, the reestablishing a healthy lining of your lungs and healing is supposed to happen. But basically, that's not what happens. And you have this essentially formation of scar tissue and destroying, and your body while trying to repair it, basically ends up destroying the healthy lung tissue because of this 
aberrant kind of healing that goes on. So again, I'm no expert on this, but that's kind of the short story about what we think causes it. But again, it's still a lot of question marks. Mm -hmm. And genetics are a possibility too, huh? I don't want yeah, to hear that. it's not. Yeah, it's not one of those things where it's like a cystic fibrosis or a muscular dystrophy. We know the gene; we can test for it. But there's a tendency for it to run in families. How common is it? How many people need to be worried about this? It's pretty common. If you look at a 2010 epidemiologic study, there was 18.2 cases per 100,000 persons. That's in the U.S. So. Not that uncommon when you compare, like, mm. there's definitely not one in a million, right? It, it, it is relatively common in, in older people. And I know from my father's case, he was given a certain life expectancy once they knew that this was happening. What is that typically? Yeah, it's usually two to five years from the time of diagnosis. So that sounds like similar to what they told your father yeah. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I recently had a friend tell me that her father has pulmonary fibrosis and they have a father who kind of keeps things to himself a little bit. So they were asking me about it. And I was oh. in a very awkward position where I was like, oh, I, I shouldn't be the guy you're talking to because you don't want to hear from me about, oh, it ends in death and it's uh, difficult yeah. to watch. You know what I mean? I, I'm not the I shouldn't be the guy telling the family this. What is the treatment? I think I know the answer to this, but maybe people would be interested to. Uh... Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just before we get to treatment, usually your family doctor would listen to your lungs. They kind of hear these, what we call crackles at your lungs. They're called Velcro crackles. Hmm. It sounds like Velcro opening oh. like when, you, when you tear open Velcro. And they have clubbing. I don't know if your dad had clubbing. It, it's like your, your fingernails become kind of like broad. I've seen um, that with people. He did not have that, no. Yeah. And so, again, those are some of the signs. But then, as you, as you said, it can be diagnosed by uh, CT scan is very specific for it. And then you end up seeing a respirologist. But as you were asking about the treatment, you were kind of getting at, at it. There's no treatment, essentially, mm. uh, though there is some things coming down the pipeline, which would be a bit different than when your father had it. You obviously encourage people to do things to help their overall lung health. So quit smoking, sometimes gastroesophageal reflux disease, you know, like acid reflux can be associated with it, can exacerbate it. So they try and control that. Go on oxygen. I know your father was on oxygen yeah. um, for the last few years of his life. You want to kind of vaccinate against the flu, against getting what's called pneumococcal pneumonia and things like that. You can put people on the lung transplantation list, but not everyone's a candidate because they really can't afford to transplant every single person who has idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. So again, my reading of this, I'm not an expert, is some people may be candidates for lung transplantation, not everyone. Sure. And there are some new things. So they did a study in 2010 looking at using anti-inflammatories because you think, oh, maybe it's an aberrant inflammatory response like we've talked about with other diseases on the show. And so they gave steroids and some other immune suppressive medicines and they did a trial called the PANTHER trial. Again, people just try and think of cool names for the <laughs> trial. So PANTHER is an acronym for anyway. The prednisone azathioprine and acetylcysteine study and it's colon, a study that evaluates response to get the T-H-E-R at the end. Anyway, that, it's stretching a bit to kind of create that acronym, <laughs> but whatever. Anyway, they gave it it's that It's just that of no comfort to people suffering from pulmonary That's fibrosis right. is it, what it, matters. I know. And it's like the author's like, oh my God, we've got this cool name, the Panther trial. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but listen, the trial found that patients taking that triple combination therapy were at an increased risk of death and hospitalization. Oh my God compared to patients taking placebo. 
So then they're like, oh, so we really have no treatment because stuff that we guessed might work mm. doesn't actually work when you actually did a proper trial. But there are some new things coming down the pipeline, and some of them are in use already. Tyrosine kinase inhibitors, one called nintetinib, and there's an antifibrotic agent called perfenidone. When I hear you pronounce those things, I see the value of things like panther all of a sudden. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So those are coming down the pipeline, but none of these are miraculous kind of cures. Mm. So as you mentioned, Ali, unfortunately, the prognosis is quite serious for some of these patients. Yeah. All right. I think I will get back to reading this chapter and we'll just end with the ending of this chapter. But I think it's, it was important to set this up. He was suffering from something mm -hmm. and that's, uh, mm -hmm. it goes south quick. My father passed away in 2011 after a year of rapidly deteriorating health and just a few weeks after meeting and holding my first son. It always gave me comfort that a man who lived a hard and fast life and whose first love was tobacco still made it to 72, old enough to see that his wayward son was going to have a family and maybe, hopefully, be all right. Dad's second love might have been a good laugh, and I'm certain he would have gotten a kick out of the absurdity of trying to arrange his own funeral. I learned a funny thing about funerals. They don't always go as planned. The day he passed away, we called the mosque, and there's no easy way into the discussion, so I just dove right in. I said, hello, I'm calling to make arrangements for my father, who passed away a few hours ago. On the other end, the guy replied, um, yes? That was the first red flag. You call me soft, but I think a, my condolences wouldn't have killed anyone at that point. And then he told me he needed to go get a pencil, and he was gone for an oddly long time. That's another red flag, that it took four minutes for him to go find a pencil and another four to spell my father's name. It's not like one of those long, multisyllabic names. It's five letters, Farouk. At one point, the guy at the mosque, he spelled it back to me, S-A, and I said, no, no, not Sarouk. He's not from Middle Earth. F as in Frank. Or since we're both Muslims, F as in Farouk. There's a King Farouk who ruled Egypt. There's a city in Pakistan called Farukabad, literally the place of Farouk. The Prophet Muhammad's father-in-law was known by the epithet Al-Farouk. Come on, man, work with me here. I later looked up Sarouk. It's a Jewish last name of all things. The day after this call with my faith in the system, shaky at best, I went to the mosque in person to put my heart at ease, to ensure that my father's body would actually arrive there the next day for his own funeral. And it's only once that I got there that I realized any insuring came down to me saying, there won't be any problem with his body arriving on time. Will there? And getting the response, no, brothers, there won't be no problem. I realized my English professor dad would have been sorely disappointed at the grammatical quality of that response. And in the end, the transport was the one thing that happened flawlessly. And probably because I'm sad to say it was arranged by a French funeral transportation company. And given my dad's general dislike of the French, I'm not sure he would have found that particularly funny. My dad's friend, hereafter referred to as uncle, was with me and he grew upset about why my dad's body couldn't be in an Islamic environment, the mosque, for the night instead of a hospital morgue. And a conversation with the imam was in orders. My uncle said, why don't you bring the body here? The imam said, no, we have no place to put it. We are supposed to have three fridges for bodies. No, we only have one. My dad only needed one, so I assumed that one was taken. 
And then my uncle said, but two years ago, we raised money for two more fridges. And then there was this awkward silence that included a stare down from uncle to imam. In sales, they say that these moments, the person who speaks first loses. I guess my uncle lost. He grew impatient with the silence on the imam's part. And he finally said, uh, I'll ask the other imam when I see him. This mosque was the only one in the city that had these facilities. However, I do hear that now two other mosques will soon be installing fridges and facilities to wash and hold bodies. We'll see if competition helps this particular segment of the community. Now, Muslim funerals don't allow for speeches. It's, it's not that they don't permit them. It's just that they're typically on a tight, focused schedule to get a person's body into the ground and on to its next and final destination. Simply put, it is just not done. And personally, I've always loved hearing people pay tribute to the deceased. If not at an actual funeral, then at the very least, something in the spirit of an Irish wake has always been very appealing. Lean into the pain, but also into the love you had for the person who's gone. And also maybe lean into some sandwiches. No sandwiches at the mosque. At the mosque, on the day of my father's funeral, I sat on the ground, as is customary, with my back against the side wall away from the rest of the congregation, which is not customary. And I stayed put there even when I was called forward by the imam to come help lead the prayer for my dad. And not just because of my inflexible joints and my rusty memory for the prayer, but also because I pictured my dad laughing at me, saying, you praying? Come off it. It confused some of the people in attendance to no end that a son declined to lead the prayer for his dead father, but they seemed to chalk it up to inconsolable grief, and they moved on. My main thought as I sat back and listened to the prayer in a language I still didn't speak or understand was that this was an event begging for better speeches. As a professor and a poet who surrounded himself with other professors and poets, my dad knew people who were well-trained in the art of public speaking, and their opportunity to speak at the funeral, alas, did not come. But mine did. At an in-memoriam event hosted at Dawson College, my dad's friends and colleagues gathered to fondly remember him, and I took the opportunity to say a few words. It was a speech that I entitled, Farouk Hassan, The Luckiest Man I Ever Knew. When I was a young boy, whenever my friends were over at our house and would politely ask my dad, how are you, Mr. Hassan? We could be sure to hear one of his stock answers. Oh, still around or still kicking. I remember how grim I found that response, especially compared to the answers I would get from my friends' fathers and particularly juxtaposed against his own Muslim families, Subhanallah's and Alhamdulillah's, which roughly translate to, I am thankful to be alive by the good grace of God. But his lackadaisical answer belied an undeniable truth. My father was the luckiest man I knew. Maybe lucky is too strong, but I, I can say this. Nobody came out of a bad situation better than Farouk Hassan. Like the time he lost a finger after poking around near the car fan belt while a mechanic started the car. Luckily, it was on his left hand or his writing and translating career would have been devastated. Or the time they found a tumor in his lung. Luckily, it was removed and he was completely spared the pain and exhaustion of radiation and chemotherapy. Or like his recoveries from angina, a heart attack, or a heart bypass, each subsequent surgery or procedure was always a success, and he was up and back to his usual tricks or some variation thereof after each one of those episodes. And of course, let us not forget the dozens and dozens of emergency room visits over the years for heart palpitations or shortness of breath or some other potentially frightening symptoms. 
I always marveled at that trifecta of modern medicine, supplying him at one point with no less than 12 pills per day, his incredible will to live, and his undeniable luck that always collaborated to have him bouncing back from whatever ailed him. When all these health scares are combined with the, uh, so we say, juvenile behavior, I remember wondering if it was normal for my father to be regularly coming home after his teenage son, and how he was getting up for his 7.30 a.m. office hours, and the subsequent late and less than alert drives home in Montreal and previously New Brunswick winters, I'd still find it just shy of a miracle that my father was able to be with us for 72 years. I mean, God's handiwork had to be involved in some way. His colleague Friedel Carl once told me, Ali, your father doesn't suffer fools gladly. Being too young at the time to fully appreciate what that meant, I thought it was something that reflected poorly on my father. And as I watched him through the years, I realized quite the opposite. He simply chose not to spend his life associating with people who weren't appealing to him. But even if he was a little picky about his friends, he rarely, if ever, made enemies. He simply chose to distance himself from people in whom he wasn't interested. And that was the essence of my father, surrounding himself with people and activities he enjoyed. And as a corollary, anything he didn't enjoy, like carefully managing his money, wouldn't get his attention either. He was a lively, witty, and charming man whose life was so full of so many contradictions. He was a stingy marker, but an incredibly generous man. He was a notorious procrastinator, but accomplished so much. He had a foul mouth at times, but he preached proper English usage all the time. He was irreligious, but incorruptible. He took poor care of his health and yet had a powerful desire to live. And finally, although he enjoyed being foolish, Friedel nailed it. He didn't suffer fools. In the end, there was no suffering period. His brain was unable to feel any pain or anything at all, really, for the last two weeks of his life. And that was definitely the hardest part for his family, seeing him in that neurovegetative state. It was the one thing that really broke all our hearts. We could all agree that he polluted his lungs and clogged his arteries, but his mind, oh, how he nourished that mind. In retirement, his day only began after he read both the Globe and Mail and the Montreal Gazette. His voracious reading appetite and borderline speed reading allowed him to read a few books a week. Right until his last days, he was actively translating poems and short stories into Urdu, Farsi, and Arabic. And although nothing can replace his loss, I still feel this unusual sense of gratitude that I've never felt before. I'm so grateful that I knew him and that he was around as long as he was. And I'm so grateful that he got to see me pursuing my own professional dreams and had the chance to meet my loving wife, my two daughters, and his two-month-old grandson before his body called it quits. On his last day, he went painlessly and peacefully, weeks, maybe months ahead of certain hospitalization that we were told would have included having a tracheotomy or spending his remaining days on a respirator. I'm certain that Dad himself would have thought his luck was about to run out, but God or the universe or something intervened and helped him hightail it out of here before he needed to go down that path of certain misery. A final lucky break for the luckiest man I ever knew. So there you guys have it. That is an excerpt of a chapter from Is There Bacon in Heaven by co-host Ali Hassan coming out September 27th. Ali, listen, actually, people don't know this. I actually haven't read the book yet. I'm waiting for my copy on the 27th. And that's the first time I heard any of this. And I 
really, really loved it. It was really good. I mean, I, I, I obviously I know I've known you since I was born, and I've known your father for the same amount of time uh, since since I was born. And I don't know, it was great. I loved it. And so hopefully uh, you guys end up checking out the book. Hopefully you guys found that as fascinating as I did. And hopefully you found the interesting art, uh, discussion of idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. I think the great takeaway from this for me is that you will read my book. A lot of people buy, a lot of friends buy to support. It seems like Asif may actually read it. But it is a, it's a piece of work <laughs> I'm definitely proud you, of. You think people are going to buy and not read it? Come on. That's people got to come out and support, you know. But what? You know what it is? It's like people have the to-do, to-read lists, yeah. right? If you look at my side table right oh, yeah. now, there's 12 oh, books yeah. on it. I so. have like 20 books. Right. It's crazy. But this book is also, I mean, like how many pages is it? You showed me a copy. I just yeah, it's, it's not like... too long and it's a memoir, so it's light. But in the end, it's 230 pages-ish. Yeah. yeah, totally, totally doable. Yeah. That's like probably a couple of days of reading. Yeah, and it, the people who people have so... read it, who've gotten advanced copies... That chapter and the sort of grimness of, you know, death is by no means a through line of the book. That's just a one chapter, but it does, you know, overall uplifting. That was the hope. And that seems to be the consensus. And of course, I asked Ali to pick a chapter with some medical right. issues in it to tie it into the podcast. As Ali mentioned, there's many ones that deal with food, family and other things that maybe don't tie in with the podcast as well, but equally poignant and funny. So I guess our big plug for today, Ali, is the book coming out September 27th. Everybody check that out. That's right. You can go to Simon & Schuster's website, simonschuster.ca is how they do it. You go to simonschuster.ca and from there you can find different places to buy the book. That would maybe be the best thing. Right? And Ali was talking about, oh, yeah, it's the fall, but... The reason why book publishers publish a lot of books in the fall is the same reason video game publishers publish a lot in the fall, because great Christmas presents, everybody. And if you don't celebrate Christmas, doesn't matter. You need to get holiday presents for people. Doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. So uh, Hanukkah, we have many holidays coming up soon, Kwanzaa. So. My wife and I's anniversary. How do you like that? Huh? I get my wife my own book as an anniversary. Happy anniversary. I, I know this meant something to you. and. Thank you for sitting quietly and patiently while I worked on this. <laughs> Remember, everyone, that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and in information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. Is there bacon in heaven? September 27th. And speaking of catching up, that's a very bad segue to talk about catching up on your book. No, it's not catching up. The book's not out yet. But anyway, we're going to give you guys a, a preview. Ali's shaking his head at this transition. Maybe one of the worst. Maybe one of the worst I've ever heard. Maybe one of the worst I've ever heard.